Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Stephen Ortiz, shining a light on the fascinating and at times misunderstood field of biblical archaeology. You know, you got this, the Hollywood of the Indiana Jones motif. Right. Everybody wants to go and discover Noah's Ark and discover this and discover the five stones of, of David. And those are the charlatans. Those are the ones that are like, you're not really doing the research. Mm-hmm. Everybody goes for two weeks. They, they discover something. They write a book about it. <laughs> and they go to churches and talk about it. And you go like, if you're a real archaeologist, you know it takes years mm-hmm. to produce research. Stephen Ortiz, next on His People. Popular movie depictions of archaeology regale us with swashbuckling images of excitement and unearthing dramatic ancient artifacts. In reality, archaeology, and in today's discussion, biblical archaeology, is a slow, although fascinating process, usually over years, excavating and sorting through sites of ancient cultures. If that's of interest to you, among other things today, we'll find out about a new initiative launched by Israel's tourism ministry aimed at getting Christian tourists involved in archaeological excavations. Our guest is Dr. Stephen Ortiz, director of the Lanier Center for Archaeology at Lipscomb University in Nashville. He's also a professor of archaeology and biblical studies. Dr. Ortiz, what is biblical archaeology? That's archaeology that tries to illustrate the biblical text. Uh, sometimes it's called the archaeology of the biblical lands. Uh, in terms of a broader context, it's also Near Eastern archaeology. And so it covers a lot of things. Myself, personally, I like the Southern Levant, because that's basically Lebanon, Syria, the modern state of Israel and Jordan. And that's kind of where, you know, most of the biblical text happened. So it's like a broad catch-all term. So when you talk about biblical archaeology, uh, are your motivations for it trying to find things that have some then some kind of intersection with the scriptures, uh, something maybe the scriptures talk about or people groups or something to that uh, effect? Yes and no. We, we do look for, you know, um, the historical context of scripture, but it's also the, the revelation happened in a wider world. So any context that places scripture into its historical context is game for us or is interesting for us to study. Well, well tell us about your background in biblical archaeology and, and how the Lord led you into it, why it's of interest to you. Well, it was the biblical text. I, I um, got saved in the dynamic church. The pastor always used the background context. He placed um, the events within a space-time continuum. And I, I wanted to study God's Word more deeply. And I realized you need to get below theology and get into the dirt. Uh, part of that is realizing the Bible is a Middle Eastern text. That's where the revelation happened. So if we really under, want to understand God's Word, you have to study Hebrew. You have to study a Jewish thought and practice. And so that's my goal was to go to Israel and learn. And uh, right out of high school, I was going to take off. And my dad said, no, you're not. Uh, went to university, 
did an anthropology degree. About my junior year, I still wanted to go. And my dad goes, well, this must be something of the Lord because we can't beat it out of you. So <laughs> I did my first summer excavations mm -hmm. in junior year and just fell in love with it. I knew this is what I wanted to do. Uh, I enjoyed the detective work uh, within the field, you know, as you're in the, the trenches excavating, uh, trying to put the puzzle pieces together of what we have, the rocks and stones and pottery, but also the, the history beneath the Bible. And so that's what drew me into this discipline. I went back to Israel for a degree in Bible history at Jerusalem University College. And then I went on to do graduate work at the University of Arizona, which is one of the top programs in Syro-Palestinian archaeology hmm. or archaeology of the ancient Near East. And where did you do your first dig? I, I, I missed that. In Israel? At Tal Dor, a coastal site up north. And, and tell simply means a mound or a hill? Right, yeah. Uh -huh. And when you talk about biblical archaeology being uh, detective work, so as you said, you may have pieces, they may, there may be a, an object where it's strewn out, perhaps across a site, and you have to maybe try to piece things together. Or, I mean, there's, can you talk about that a little bit? What, how is it like detective work? Well, I'm glad for all these CSI crime movies that have come on because it's made my teaching easier. <laughs> you know, the basic premise, you go, mm -hmm. you know there's a crime that's committed, but you only have select pieces of evidence to reconstruct that crime. In our case, crime is history or Joshua's conquest or David's reign. And so we only have pieces of the puzzle. Most people don't realize this, but an ancient city... When archaeologists excavate that ancient city, we probably only excavate 3 to 5% of that city. Hmm. So you can imagine Nashville is destroyed. Archaeologists come and excavate Nashville, and we only excavate 3% of the city. Are we going to get an accurate picture of the city? Now, a lot of times we do. We're purposeful. We know, okay, let's dig in the government center. Let's dig on the outskirts. Let's dig in where the rich live. Let's dig where the middle class live. We want to try to get a, a broad picture of that city. And, and when we go excavate a site, we kind of attempt to do that. You know, let's put some squares on the Acropolis, some investigation up there. Let's do a section down the hill, et cetera, et cetera. And, and each research design determines how you're going to approach that ancient city. Hmm. Well, now, uh, my understanding is that you co-led a 10-year excava excavation, I think I probably read this in Christianity Today, at Tel Gezer, if I'm pronouncing it. Tel Gezer, yes, Tel, Tel Gezer. Tel Gezer. Uh, where is that, and, and what were the most significant discoveries there? What were the highlights of that 10-year project? Tel Gezer is between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Basically, it guards the valley going up to Jerusalem. It's become infamous because in the biblical text, 1 Kings 9.15, it states that Solomon fortified Hatzor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Hmm. So these are three of the earliest sites that were excavated, naturally because of their connection to the biblical text. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to go back to Gezer and excavate it. I got a new position at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, the president wanted to start a, a vibrant archaeology program. And we needed a nice, big research project to 
get our students, you know, to teach them, uh, to do the research. And so it was, um, it was nice there. It was the heyday of um, our center. That was our big dig. And uh, Gezer's a, a famous site throughout history. Several Egyptian pharaohs have conquered it. Uh, Assyrian battles have conquered it. And that's because it sits, you know, in a strategic point. And that's one of the reasons, you know, we're the third excavations. That, you know, the 19th, end of the 19th century, we had an excavation. Uh, my professor at University of Arizona in the 1960s excavated Gezer. And then now, 50 years later or so, I came and I, you know, excavated it. Did you find, uh, I mean, what was exciting to you that you discovered there? Um, most of the history. Probably our, our most um, infamous find is next to the gate, we found a large administrative building. Hmm. We called it Solomon's Palace. And so that was just so Christianity would publish it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's, you know, Solomon wasn't there. Solomon was up in Jerusalem, but it was under his auspices, his government. So part of the governor lived there. That was a center for collecting taxes and tithes for the temple, etc. So it, it was under his administration. And, and that was something new. We kind of knew there was a large building there, but exposing that building. And in that building, we found a massive destruction. We know that um, once the, the monarchy divided, and we had Rehoboam in the south and Jeroboam up north, Shishak, Pharaoh Shishak came through and took some uh, tithe from Rehoboam, from Jerusalem, and he did some conquest. Uh, the Bible doesn't mention that he conquered Gezer, but we have to assume he did, because to get up to Jerusalem, you have to go through Gezer. Hmm. And we found this massive destruction that we associated with this one Pharaoh Shishak. And so that's where we've been spending a lot of our research time right now, trying to publish that and get it ready. And you're also the director, as I understand it, of something called the, is it the Tel Berna Archaeological Project? Um, that's a smaller site. When I knew Gezer was ending, I was in Israel for sabbatical. So I was looking for a new project to join and one that was going to absorb our students uh, as staff members. Mm -hmm. And so I spent that year, you know, visiting different sites, talking to other colleagues who would, you know, and... Tel Berna was at Ariel University. It's a smaller project. So they would welcome, you know, uh, basically doubling the project in size. Now, I'm interested in the border between the Philistines and the Israelites, right there in the foothills. And Berna is, you know, just south of Gezer, but farther down the region. Kind of, um, if Gezer sits in the foothills of Jerusalem, Berna is kind of the foothills of Hebron, the major city up there. And it's a smaller Israelite city. So it's nice to kind of do a research on a major urban center mm -hmm. and a smaller site. It's probably Biblical Libna. And Biblical Libna was one of the cities in the Joshua's conquest in the southern campaign. Uh, we know um, Josiah's, one of the queens was from Libna. And so in terms of lineage, it, it was an important city for Judean kings to get their wives. So I'm sure, you know, somewhere in the um, uh, tribal tribe of Judah, that, that must have been an important city. It, it also rebelled a lot. 
So when you wanted to rebel against the king of Jerusalem, you kind of went to Libna. <laughs> that's because it was down south and kind of in the backwoods. So the king couldn't extend his arm towards you. It was more safe. It was a safer place yeah, to rebel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of, yeah if you're going to, you know. If you're going to rebel against the king, you might want to be you know. a little out of the way. Yes. <laughs> well, my guest today on His People is Dr. Stephen Ortiz. He is director of the Lanier Center for Archaeology at Lipscomb University in Nashville. We're talking about biblical archaeology and some of his background. And uh, in Christianity Today currently, it says there are some new initiatives in Israel, and they're aiming to recruit vacationers for archaeological excavations. Tell us about that, what's happening. I've heard that's referred to as... Uh, at least Christianity Today calls it archaeotourism. I heard it first when Christianity interviewed me. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm familiar with it. Israel has always, they realize evangelical Christians are one of the largest blocks of tourists. They realize that evangelicals want to walk where Jesus walked, walk where David walked. Um, they're not interested in going to churches and worship there or having prayer meetings. Mm -hmm. They can do that at home. Sure. They've read scripture, they want to see it come alive, and they want to invest their 10 days fully in, involved in the land and walking the land. And archaeology is one of those interfaces where you actually get to Bible history. They're actually doing that. And so I think the they're trying to revive tourism in Israel. And one of the ways is to get um, uh, a lot of these evangelicals and even uh, J Jewish tourists to mm -hmm. come. And sort of dig for a day. Now, I've seen these developments. I, I've, I spoke somewhat kind of negatively about it um, uh, because you can't do much in a day. Yeah. Some sites give, um, kind of allow that. Uh, most of our archaeological projects are based on the volunteer system. We get students, retirees from all over the world that come and give up two to four weeks of their vacation to actually participate. One, they get to travel the country. Mm -hmm. Two, they get to you know spend a month living in the land. And three, it's productive. They're helping with research um, in in uncovering biblical cities. And I think they're trying to um, come up with a system that every tourist can participate in an excavation project. Now, are they given some kind of training? I mean, obviously, these are these are tourists. These are not trained people like yourself. I don't know how they're going to do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm somewhat of a skeptic. Yeah, but I I am for it because it one it's a neat experience for especially for you know Christian or Jewish tourists to come mm -hmm. and participate. Uh, we I, I've been on projects where we've had what they call dig for a day, where they come for one day. And, and there's different ways of doing it. Even when we have volunteers that come, they don't have any archaeological experience, but we have a, a hierarchy of staff. So, you know, everything's dug in a grid. You divide up the, the site. And as you're digging that grid, you have a grid supervisor, a square supervisor. And they're there working, you know, right along with you. They're dumping the wheelbarrow with you. They're helping you sift. So you usually assign like three students to that one. Um, in our case, it's usually a MA or PhD student in archaeology. And they're also teaching these students, and they're also watching them to make sure they're not destroying something. And so it is, you know, you're working alongside somebody who knows the field and can stop you if you're going to start to, you know, rip apart something or remove something. 
And so day for day, normally we try to separate them and put them within different squares so they're part of that team. A lot of times it's you have a family, uh, you have a tour group, and they kind of want to dig together because they're going to Israel and, you know, as a family vacation or, you know, a, a church group or something. And so that gets a little bit harder because none of them are experienced and you can't have a group of 25 people uh, just digging somewhere. Uh, there's a lot of things they can do, a lot of sifting that goes on, um, the screams. And so you can have a lot of people as the dirt comes out, you know, sifting through the artifacts and you have some supervisor there that's, you know, um, assisting them. You know, is, there, is this something? Is this a coin? Is this a rock? You know? mm, mm. And they can help them, you know, organize that way. And, and that's that's worked out fine. So a lot of digs will have um, volunteer sifters come. And and even for like our project, you know, you, you can have people 80 years old. They may not be able to be pushing the wheelbarrow, but there's other parts of the project that they can participate in, washing the pottery, the sifting like that. So there's a room for everybody on an archaeological dig. Is that something you would recommend if people uh, have at least uh, some kind of an interest in archaeology? Um, is this something that would be uh, particularly interesting? Oh, yes, yes. Even if you don't like archaeology, mm. it's, it's a unique camp experience because you're living with a group of people. Uh, they're from all over the world. Normally, English is the national language. I mean, just, you know, sure. people speak English, um, but you, you have English, Hebrew. Uh, and, and there's something of a camaraderie as you have a purpose, you have a research design and they're, you're there as we're arguing, as we're discussing, as we're discussing field strategies, both they're right there with us as the excavation is going on and they're kind of participating in the science of archeology span and just absorbing it. And um, most digs are teaching digs. So I'll stop and say, here's why we're arguing. We're discussing whether this is, a city wall or you know, uh, an interior wall, and we're debating the size of the rocks, and you're part of that debate. And, and so it's just uh, exciting. At the end of the season, a lot of people who I've never done archaeology, but I love it. I have one of my senior staff members, a pastor, who's been coming. Hmm. Just took it for a seminary course in science. And boy, he's a, you know, a good Central Texas pastor, and he comes every year, and um, just loves the work and, and the science. So, yeah, it's for everybody. Have uh, any of the volunteers found anything significant? I mean, I don't know if they're just sort of, well, you, you say they're sifting, so they oh, may yeah. come upon something. Yeah, they are. And, and um, each site is different. I'm one, you pay this money to come, I let the volunteer work on it. Mm -hmm. well, again, within reason, and you'd be surprised, most volunteers have patience. If you teach them how to brush something, they will sit there for, you know, two or three hours exposing something. And and you're there. It's not like you're working by yourself. We're all, you know, visible. And I try to get the volunteers. Some of them get scared. It's just, I'm going to break this. I don't want to touch it. And it's like, that's fine. We'll put somebody else there. But we, we try to, because it's the teaching dig, uh, every component of archaeology, we try to get them to participate in. Uh, they're not there just moving dirt and moving wheelbarrows. They're there to actually, you know. Hands on. Hands on, yeah. Hmm. 
Well, my guest, Dr. Stephen Ortiz, he's the director of the Lanier Center for Archaeology at Lipscomb University in Nashville. And, of course, the Lanier Center, Dr. Ortiz, is fairly new. I think it opened in, I think, 2020, if that's correct. Yeah. What can you tell us about it? What is the, the, the mission? What is the vision, if you will, behind the Lanier Center for Archaeology? We've actually been doing this for 20 years. We were the, formerly the Tandy Institute for Archaeology at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And there we wanted to form the largest evangelical archaeological research center and also to train the next generation. And so we had an active um, MA and PhD program. Uh, that was under the auspices of Dr. Patterson, who was the former president. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in 2018-19, we had a change of administration. Uh, the new administration um, did not see the value of archaeology or they couldn't fund it. One day we got called into the office saying, you know, you're fired. This is your last semester. Hmm. And it, we told them, you know, you can't do this. We're an accredited program. Yeah. What do you do for the students? And I went home and I called the former president and I kind of told him, you got me into this mess. <laughs> you're going to get me out. <laughs> <laughs> He went and he goes, okay, give me some time. He called some donors and Mark Lanier was one of those donors. And he called Mark Lanier. Mark Lanier is on the board of Lipscomb University. He's also alumni. Hmm. So he gets some of his heart into it. Yeah. And he calls that night and he said, Steve and Tom, my colleague, who's the New Testament archaeologist here, he said, look, don't worry. Um, I think you guys will love Nashville. He started telling me about Nashville. Have you heard of Lipscomb University? I said, I've heard of it. I've never been there. I, I don't know anything about it. God moved us from a Baptist Institute to a Church of Christ Institute. Hmm. And that's what um, uh, they welcomed us here. Uh, they were very gracious to our students in the transition. All of our students followed us here. So basically, we just start what we taught in that spring semester, and they kicked us out of the program. That fall semester, we just picked up with the next class in line. And so our students didn't lose a beat. Um, it was during COVID. Mm -hmm. So we had all the problems of, you know, teaching on Zooms and moving and trying to, you know, move our institute. And we literally just moved the whole institute here. Um, and so in terms of accreditation, yeah, we're new in, you know, in 2020. So we got our accreditation under Lipscomb. Mm -hmm. And now we're the... Lanier Center for Archaeology, you know, named for our uh, Mark and Becky Lanier, who were gracious to make sure mm -hmm. this didn't die out. So we're very grateful for them uh, for pursuing archaeology and keeping this going. And for those who know the Lanier's, he's very keen on um, teaching the Bible. Uh, this worked out for us. So you you have the full academic programs there, the the, M, the MA, the PhD in in archaeology. And we a minor in in archaeology. So now we're going to have a, a vibrant undergraduate program that we'll feed. So um, we're quite excited. Uh, I've been very fortunate. I, I think um, God has always allowed me to fall up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think something's happened. Uh, um, I was at New Orleans Baptist Seminary and Katrina took us out. We were K Katrina refugees. We mm. went to Texas and uh, I went into Dr. Patterson. I knew he wanted to start an archaeology program. I go, it looks like God brought me here. 
how come you don't hire me? And boom, you know. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you something a little bit perhaps controversial, but it's on your website. It's on the Center's Archaeology and the Bible page, and it says, uh, today, biblical archaeology is dominated by characters, charlatans, and critics. And I just wondered what was meant by that. That that raises the eyebrows. Like what, what what's being talked about there? Yes, that that's an attempt. Um, when we started this center, uh, you know, as evangelicals, we should be top scholars because mm-hmm. God calls us to be the best. And there are a lot of you know, you got this the Hollywood or the Indiana Jones motif, right? Everybody wants to go and discover Noah's Ark and discover this and discover the five stones of of David. And those are the charlatans. Those are the ones that are like, you're not really doing the research. Mm-hmm. You want to go for, you know, everybody goes for two weeks. They, they discover something. They write a book about it. <laughs> and they go to churches and talk about it. And you go like, if you're a real archaeologist, you know it takes years mm-hmm. to produce research. Um, you know, every other field, uh, we're... We're scientists. We're trying to discover a cure for cancer. It takes years to do the work of a scientist. And so that's my intent. We're trying to tell evangelicals we need to support um, evangelical research institutes that are going to go to toe-to-toe with, I mentioned, the critics. Mm -hmm. So you have critical scholars that are saying, look, archaeology has proven the Bible is not true. And they're controlling the... um, the publications they're controlling the narrative mm-hmm. and we, we need those who can be at the same table with them and talk about the authenticity of the biblical text is there a new generation coming in are there younger people attracted to archaeology to biblical archaeology and of course as you said probably the uh, exposure that most popular people have or is Indiana Jones and the swa- uh, swashbuckling uh, movies and finding, like you say, finding those dramatic things. But is there a, a do you see an interest in in the younger generation in, in this field? Oh, oh, yes. Anybody who's interested in the Bible is interested in biblical archaeology. You read the accounts, you read the Old Testament, you go, it's full of history. It's full of the biblical authors assume you know that Megiddo is north of Jerusalem. And but there's nobody to explain it. Mm-hmm. We're Westerners 2,000 years later trying to read this ancient text and we're called to apply it to our life, but we need to control this text better so we can apply it to our life. And we have a lot of students that are, are called to studying God's word, but they don't want to be theologians. They enjoy the context of scripture. And so we're attracting those students. We have over 20 PhD students who hmm. hope that be the next generation of biblical archaeologists. We have about 10 MA students now. And, um, you know, we, we kind of had a gap there because of COVID, and people are still looking for us, but we, we're telling them we're in Nashville, and uh, <laughs> our, our research projects are still going. We have six research projects at the Tandy, uh, of the Lanier Center for Archaeology, and we have two more, we, starting one in Sudan, we're sending the team in January, and we have another one that's starting in Jordan. So very we're active. Very active. We're very fortunate that God's allowing this to grow, and once students know about us, we're, we're, we're attracting them. 
Well, Dr. Ortiz, if people would like more information about the Lanier Center for Archaeology at Lipscomb University, or maybe even finding out about, maybe this is a different, uh, something that uh, people would need to research for themselves, but if they want to find out information about the archaeotourism uh, in Israel, I mean, if, uh, where can people, where, where would you direct them to get more information? If they want to find out what the Israeli government's doing, then they have to go to the Department of Antiquities uh, in Israel. If they want to know something about biblical archaeology, they can go to archaeology.lipscomb.edu and takes us directly to our website and our emails, and they can contact us directly. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Stephen Ortiz, director of the Lanier Center for Archaeology at Lipscomb University in Nashville. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at this same time for another edition of His People. Thanks for listening.